Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches the last message in our series, Surviving Sin. Let's join him now. Well, today's message is entitled, One Nation Under God. And I know that everyone sitting here has a heart for the nation that you're sitting in, in the nation of America, you want to see our nation turn back to God, even if you're from a different nation. Uh, as a believer, your heart should be whatever country you're sitting in, you want to see it turn back to God. And to become one nation under God, we have to grab onto the power of one. Now, I know there was a song that my dad used to sing to me that one was the loneliest number you'd ever seen. <laughs> Right, But I'm here to tell you today, one is not the loneliest number. One is the most powerful number. It's the most powerful concept. Ask the Seattle Seahawks what the difference of one yard is. Last Super Bowl, right? One play call. Hey, ask, um, ask a married couple the difference of one affair. Ask um, a, a player uh, what the difference is of one coach. <laughs> Ask a person in a third world country the difference of one meal. Whoa. Now we're getting serious. Ask a childless couple what the difference is of one child. One. It's a pretty powerful number, isn't it? Just one. One word can change your life. One God can radically change the course of the nations. One is a powerful number, and that is what we want to grab onto today. Now, if you could boil down the heart of God to one thing, it would be this. He wants to see his glory made known among the nations. That's the heart of God. That's the one thing he's after. Sometimes we think, oh, he's just after me. Well, that's true because I'm a part of the nations. But really, God has a grander scheme in his plan. He wants to see every tribe, every tongue, every nation come to give him glory. That's a pretty lofty goal, isn't it? But that's his one goal on this planet and our nation is a part of it. Other nations are a part of it. And we have a job to do to help that one thing that God is after, his glory. Now, in Luke 19, 11, the disciples thought that when, after they'd hung out with Jesus, that Jesus was going to go ahead while they were still living and take over the whole world. That's what they thought was going to happen. But Jesus said, no, that's not what's going to happen. Listen to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. It's on the screen. It's in your program. And by the way, if you want to take notes, you can flip your program over and follow along. But in Matthew 24, 14, this is where Jesus gives his one thing. He says, and the good news, which is also called the gospel, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout how much of the world? The whole world, so that all, say it with me, nations will hear it, and then the end will come. How many of you want to see the Lord Jesus return right now? It would be okay with you. You know, it's funny. Before I was married, I always used to pray, God, don't come back yet. Let me get married, right? But now that I'm married and kids, I'm like, Jesus, if, if you want to come right now, it's fine with me. You know what I'm saying? Just come on down. You can wreck my plans. You can do whatever you want. Just come on back, and uh, I will be very, very happy. But here we see that the end, the second coming of Christ, doesn't happen until all of the nations are witnessed to. Wow. Now you might say, 
Well, uh, boy, that's, that might be a while because it seems like we're having trouble getting to every nation. We've reached a, a lot of the nations. Actually, the majority have been reached today. And you may say, how are we going to get it all done? Well, here's the good news. If God wants it done, listen to this, if God wants it done, don't you think he can accomplish it? He can accomplish it even with my shortcomings. He can accomplish it with your shortcomings. He can accomplish in your life more than you could ever imagine by his powerful hand. Listen to Revelation 14.6. This is how much he wants. Uh, this, this isn't on the screen, but you may want to mark it down or write it down for later. This is how much he cares about spreading the gospel to the nations. He cares about so much that he will send the message from heaven if necessary. Revelation 14.6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and every people. Can you get this? If we're not getting the job done of pointing the nations to the glory of God, one day we might just be out working the land. We might be doing our job. We might be watching fireworks, and there will be an angel (laughs) that God sends to preach the gospel all the way. And it could be uh, it could be in the tribulation. It could be before the tribulation. Those things, you know what, I don't put a strong opinion on because I know this. God knows what's happening in the end. Don't you, don't you believe that? And so he cares about the nations. And we may look at this and go, we're having trouble just getting our nation to turn to God. How are we supposed to see all the nations turn to God? Well, it's the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? If you know it, say it with me. One bite at a time. One bite at a time. That's how you eat elephant. One bite at a time. So we're going to look at the power of one, the bites that it takes to eat this elephant of seeing our nation turn back to God. And isn't it neat that at the end of Psalm 51, here it matches July 4th weekend where we can uh, speak on the nations. Hey, this was planned a long time ago. It's, it's cool how God works. And so let's read Psalm 51. Here we are at the last two verses, verses 18 and 19. David has been broken of his pride. He's confessed. He's been cleaned. He's found the forgiver. And then his prayer takes this different turn. It's a turn about his nation, and this is what he says. Verse 18 of Psalm 51. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Now, right now, I don't know anybody in here who's offered a bull on an altar. And you may be going, man, how is this going to apply? You know what? This is a strong piece of scripture that lets us know what we should be concerned with when it comes to the heart of God in our nation. How do you eat this elephant of seeing our nation turn to Christ? Here's the first bite. One person at a time. One person at a time. You see, right here in verse 18, when King David says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion, Zion in the Bible simply means this. Originally, it was the term used for greater Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the headquarters of the nation of Israel, right? But then uh, it came to mean when Solomon built the temple, Zion became a term that kind of more focused on the temple area. In other words, it began as a geographical term, 
Zion, and then it transferred over to become a spiritual term over the temple, the things of God. And so we know that Jesus will come back and rule in, from Zion, from the temple in Jerusalem. We believe in a literal uh, millennium where he rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. But can I tell you, this is what David recognized in his prayer. And I want you to hear this. Nations do not turn to God through political reform. It's never happened. Never happened in the history. In fact, the worst days for the church, the worst days for Christians have always been when they are completely free to do whatever they want. (laughs) Because we choose whatever we want. And then we get watered down. So it doesn't come through political reform. Uh, In the Bible, nations are not governments. Nations, it's very important to understand this when you read scripture, nations are people groups. Nations are comprised of people. People are individuals. And here, do you see what's happening? David's individual heart is turning. And as he turns to God, his nation is one step closer to being under God. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so the importance of personal evangelism and personal holiness are the most important part of turning a nation back to God. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to put it all on the line so that this nation turns to God and gives him the most glory? Are you willing to open your mouth and share your faith? Because what we tend to do is we go to the ballot box and say, oh, I'm going to vote that I'm a, because I'm a Christian. I'm going to vote this way, and I'm turning my nation back to God. And that is not what we see in the scripture here. We see somebody coming to Christ. Uh, we, if you put it in New Testament terms, we see somebody giving their heart to God. We see uh, an adulterer stopping their sin. We see a gambler deciding that they're going to use their money for good. We see someone who uses their language to beat others down or to curse this, things in this world. We see them cleaning up their language. And as each person does that, as each one does that, the nation turns back to God. Do you get what's happening? Do you get what I'm saying? That one person at a time, this nation turns back to God. Not one president at a time, not one congressman, but it is your job to turn back to God. And as you do, this nation looks more like him. So if you say you want your country to be turned back to God and you're not sharing your faith and you're not sharpening others, then you don't really mean it. Listen to the next one bite. Yes, one person at a time, but one God who never changes through time. If you believe God never changes, just say amen. Hey, are we allowed to say amen in church? I think we are. I know we are. Can I tell you that we've, if you look around, we've become one nation under gods when you look at America. And and it's not just multiple religions, which is there. And by the way, can I tell you, parents, when you send your kids off to college, Hey, that is the time where they help the nation become one nation under gods because there are people sitting in a classroom that we pay lots of money to uh, to help educate our kids and give them a credential. And then they go into college under God and they come out under gods. And as parents, we can't be duped by that because don't be fooled. That is radically changing our nation in the classroom of college. And it's seeping down to high school. But this is what Jesus said, and this is why we sang it today. I am the way, right? He said, I am the truth and I am the life and no one. How many people? 
No one, there's not one who will come to the Father but by him. People have become feeling-based. Oh, I believe God says. I, I kind of feel like God is okay with, with sin. I kind of feel like times are changing, so God will change with us. That is not what Scripture said. He said there is one God. Listen to uh, our sixth president, John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams said this. My hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Christ. And I can't cavil or quibble away. I can't evade it or object to it. The whole tenor of his conduct by which he sometimes positively asserted, listen to this, and at other times permits his disciples in asserting that he was God. Our sixth president of the United States said, I can't help but say, but the God of the Bible is the only true God. That is what our nation was founded on. Look at the next bite. The next bite, not only one person, not only one God, coming back under one God, the God of the Bible, the true God, but one standard. One standard. Can I tell you that King David used the standards of the Bible 3,000 years ago? These things are tried and true. And you know where he got them from? He got them from before time began, when God set the order of the world. These principles, the never-changing God, wrote down the word of God so that we could have one standard. Do you know what's happening today? And I think it's happening at every level, not just at the political level, which are obvious with the, uh, with the Supreme Court ruling of last week, but it's happening all the way down where we begin to read God's word and we say, oh, God can't really mean that. <laughs> he can't really say that I should have a covenant with my eyes not to watch things that will drag my heart down. He can't really mean that, uh, hey, I can't cheat at work just a little bit, you know. Hey, I'm not going to work fully for this boss because, you know, he's not a very good guy. So I'm just going to back off a little bit and, and not really earn my money. Uh, you see, it creeps down into our children. You know what? We're going to go ahead. When we're at church, we won't cuss. You know, when we're in the family huddle, we're like, everybody, huddle up. When we're at church, make sure to smile. Make sure not to cuss. Don't tell that joke that I told you two days ago. And then when we get home, hey, let's have at it. You know what I'm saying? Because the standard has slipped away. And if we want to be one nation under God, we have to come back to one standard. Now, does that mean perfection? Does it mean perfection? No, that perfection is impossible. But what it does mean is progress in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, here's what's really happening to the Bible. It's getting jumbled up among a bunch of other standards. It's, it's be, beginning to be looked at as one standard among many. And it's kind of like the uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest I saw yesterday. Anybody see the Nathan's hot dog eating contest? Well, uh, Joey Chestnut, as I just found out, because honestly, I haven't watched it ever, but uh, because I have boys now and ESPN is on like uh, 25 hours a day, uh, every time I walk in the living room, uh, I walk out and here's this hot dog eating contest. And these guys are shoving hot dogs in their mouth. Joey Chestnut is going for his ninth consecutive world title. And this thing was serious. It was overblown. They had announcers saying, wow, these are incredible athletes. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you're eating hot dogs. How are you an athlete? And uh, it's, they've had this whole term now that says professional eating. They're professional eaters. Well, they're going, and in 10 minutes, 
this is going to make you vomit. I saw that these guys were trying to vomit after, but in 10 minutes, the eight-time champion was dethroned by a guy named Matt Stoney. Young guy, probably 19 years old, walked up with long hair, just kind of chilled out, and in the hot dogs went. He won 62 hot dogs to 60 in 10 minutes with the bun. With the buns. Can you imagine 62 hot dogs? Now, here's what happened as soon as Joey Chestnut's eight-year run went down. They, they immediately posted this graphic on the screen, and they said, this is where eight championships in a row ranks. And they started listing things like the Celtics, UCLA basketball, right? They're, they're, they're the, the Steelers, right, of the 70s. They start the Packers of the 60s. And then there in, the, in that list, Joey Chestnut is above all of them. And they say, he is the third longest running champion in the history of the world. And I'm thinking, it's a hot dog eating contest. How do you put that with, with football? How do you put it up with basketball and the great team sports? And yet they're there championing it like, whoa, this is incredible. And the same thing happens with the Bible. It gets, the Bible is up there number one, but so many times in this world, we see standards and we're responsible for them. Don't say, oh, it's someone else or, oh, it's the world or it's those, it's those left wing or those right wing or those, uh, you know, those Hindus that, that are kind of in, a, in a, just a corner here in Billings. No, it's not them. It's us who are putting cheap things up against the Bible. We're putting hot dog winners up against the great word of God. And this needs to become the one standard. How many standards? One. Say it with me. How many standards? One standard. No more hot dog eating contests put up against the Bible. It's the Bible's number one, and there is nothing else. One standard. We come back under God by living according to his word alone. It's not up for discussion anymore for the believer. It wasn't for David as he prayed for Zion to build the walls of Jerusalem. And do you know spiritually, when we put the standard back, when we have one God, one standard, it builds, like verse uh, 18 says, it says, build the walls of Jerusalem. And next thing you know, there is a defense around the believer because when we surrender to the glory of God, do you believe that God will protect you? He will. If you do things God's way and quit watering it down and picking and choosing, God will protect you. And here's what I know. Even if in this life you have harm and you have pain, he will take you for eternity up in heaven where we will be giving him glory and know the glory of God, it will be great. Here's the next one bite, one person, one God, one standard, one sacrifice. Look back at verse 19. It says, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Can I tell you that we have sacrificed backwards? Most of us try to make a sacrifice for God. We give up our way and we try to do something for God so that we can be forgiven. But do you see, God accepts sacrifice from us, the religious things we do. I'm gonna just say it that way. The things that we're trying to do for God he doesn't look down and go, oh, you're doing all that. Good, I gotcha. I gotcha now. That's not what he does. Do you know what sacrifice is meant for? The most important word of verse 19 is then. It's then. Sacrifice shows that you already are forgiven. Do you understand what I'm saying? People 
who have been saved by God. People who have been forgiven, like David was forgiven in Psalm 51. People who have been set free, do you know what they do? They go out and they sacrifice for God. They put their hands to work. You see, sacrifice is the evidence of your forgiveness. People who know they've been forgiven start putting their hands to work for God. They start valuing worship attendance, not because uh, it makes the pastor proud of how many people came, not because uh, you're, you're, you're doing it for your kids. Oh, my kids need church. No, forgiven people give God the sacrifice of worship and praise. Forgiven people are willing to serve until their hands hurt, serve until their mouth hurts, uh, serve until their heart hurts to say, I'm going to give God everything because here in the New Testament, we no longer have have to sacrifice because we have the one sacrifice that matters. Who is that? Jesus. We have Jesus. And so because he sacrificed and he forgives us, we walk out and we sacrifice our time, our talents, and our treasure. Here's the last bite. One person, one standard, one sacrifice where we begin to put our hand to work because we've been forgiven. And the last one is this, one prayer at a time. Psalm 51 is a prayer. If you want to sum it all up as we close out this chapter, Psalm 51 is a broken man who's recognized his sin talking to God. How many of you have known the forgiveness of God before? Can I tell you that one prayer at a time will help turn our nation back to God, but not how you think. It's not the one prayer you think. Everybody, you know the Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, verse that we hear on July 4th all the time? It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will turn and heal their land. Do you know that, Do you know that scripture where, where it says, sometimes we've tried to bottle that, and we try to say, well, if all the Christians just pray harder, then our nation will turn back to God. Then we'll see great revival in our land. And can I tell you, that is not the prayer that will save our nation. Are you with me? Uh-oh. You can put all the Christians in America together in a room. We can pray as hard as we want, and it may not turn our nation back to God. The prayer that will turn our nation back to God is the prayer of Psalm 51, where each person every day becomes clean before God. And it is a prayer. You may want to write this down because this is important. You want to turn our nation back to God? This is the prayer. It's a prayer of personal repentance. Personal repentance. You see, if it's going to start one prayer, one person at a time, who's the first person it should start with? It should start with me. It should start with me. I'm not going to leave it to someone else. You know where it should go from there? It should start with my marriage or my dating relationship or my family relationship, the people I'm around the most, my best friends. And then the prayer of repentance should spread where we teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ, like Matthew 24 says, where, where Jesus says, I want the gospel preached among the nations. And as each one prays that prayer of repentance, then the nations turn to God. Do you get it? Wow. Listen to Samuel Adams. Some of you think that he's only responsible for making beer. But 
Samuel Adams was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, a ratifier of the Constitution, and he was considered the father of the American Revolution. And this is what he said. Listen to Samuel Adams. I cannot conceive that we can't better express ourselves than by humbly praying to the supreme ruler of the world that the confusions that are and have been among the nations may be overruled by the promoting and speedily bringing in the holy and happy period when the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may be everywhere established. This is Samuel Adams. This sounds like Matthew 24, 14, doesn't it? And he said, and people will willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the prince of peace. You see, even our founding fathers knew that it wasn't going to be some law passed that would change a nation back to God. It wasn't going to be enough people at the voting ballot box. It wasn't going to be enough changes in education. What it was going to be was one person surrendering to one God, living by one standard, and then giving one sacrifice of worship and praise to God for their life, and continually coming before God clean, saying, God, I repent. Listen to Psalm 51. You can read it if you want. We're going to read all 19 verses, and then we'll come to a time of response. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. I love this verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall pour forth your praise for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you won't despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice, with the burnt offering and the whole burnt offering, and they shall offer bulls on your altar. Let me ask a question. Where do you need to come clean 
so that you can participate in us being one nation under God. Hey, it could be that today you need to make this day the day that you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Then he was thrown down at the top of the downtown garbage heap. It was nasty. It was ugly. And he was crucified. He had nails in his hands and blood poured out. And the Bible says we don't have to offer the sacrifice of a bull on an altar anymore because Jesus was the sacrifice for our sin. And maybe today you need to make that decision. In just a second, I'll give you that chance. But can I tell you today that it's your responsibility to help us become one nation under God. Are you ready to be that kind of person? If you are, just say amen. Let me ask you, where do you need to come to God and let him wash you clean? What attitude, what small part does God need to come and clean so that we can be a people that give the glory among the nations. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you today, is there anyone in the room that would say, hey, I'm going to help our nation take one step closer to God because today I want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, and I've explained it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? We won't embarrass you or anything like that. Is there anyone in the room that would say, today, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ? Amen. Is there anyone else who would like to say, I would like to give my life to Jesus Christ? Across the room. Hey, if you made that decision, would you just look up at me if you raise your hand? Hey, listen, today... I want you to know that you can come to faith in Jesus. He will radically change your life. He will radically give you the power of one, giving him glory. He will come and be your only God, your only standard, and it will be so worth it. Is that something you want to do today? Give your life to Christ. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. After service, go to Next Step Center and say, hey, today... I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. Will you do that? Awesome. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you are in control even when it looks like things are spiraling out of control. God, we know that you're waiting for the glory of the gospel spread throughout all the nations to happen And then the end will come. And God, today we confess in this heart of Psalm 51 that we've been more concerned with trying to make a nation Christian through politics. God, trying to make a nation Christian through education. God, trying to make a nation Christian by trying to impose a rule. But God, we know you are the one who is ruling and reigning. And we can't change that. Nothing can change that. But God, you have called us to be a people, to be a person who lives for you. God, help us to be the kind of people that spread your glory among the nations. God, would we be a people who learn to share our faith? God, would we be a people who learn to sharpen each other in holiness and looking more like you? 
God, we confess that we have not been this kind of people. God, we've been more programmed than people. God, we've been uh, more about law than, than knowing the God of the universe personally. God, than leading our families. Father, today, as we close Psalm 51, we pray and ask that you would help us survive sin. God, I pray for the person here who has wrecked their life so bad that they don't know what to do. God, would you allow them to see you today and realize that you are the great God who forgives. God, you are the God who restores. You are the one who brings people back to life. Lord, raises them from spiritual death to spiritual life, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Please take a few moments to respond to today's message. If you have any questions or you have made any decisions, email us nextsteps at elevationbuildings.com. find out more about our church, visit elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.